We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how we doing? Not bad, Nick. The A lot of fans are salivating over the Suns' exits. Kevin Durant and now the Nets being where they are with Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and the plethora of picks and thinking what's going on with DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul. Look, it's Maybe it's not too bad to be a Nets fan sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that trade is looking really good right now. And like you said, I think the uncertainty of the Suns moving forward makes you feel really good about those picks. We'll touch on those a little bit today and more, but make sure you check out the buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do we start? Nick, you you run with me because you've got this awesome rundown. I've sort of been doing some research trying to keep up with you because this is one of those smart pods where the analytics come into it. <laughs> Nick really shines. The emotion is still going to be there for me as much as I can, but I'm also going to be doing my research and putting that to the forefront. But I'm, I'm intrigued to sort of see where we're going to start, where we're going to go with this sort of thing. A, a little bit of a touch on just the, the assets and, and those sort of things. Is that where we're going to go? Yeah, we'll jump into that, kind of what the Nets have moving forward in the offseason and, you know, who's a free agent, uh, who's a restricted free agent and things like that. But I guess we could start with the cap. Um, the Nets right now will be slightly over the cap when they give um, Cam Johnson his qualifying offer. They'll be closer to the tax potentially over that. They could, you know, trade off some of their expiring contracts that we'll touch on later. But ultimately, a better position than they've been in the past. You know, and that says more about the the previous seasons rather than this year. But they probably will have access to the taxpayer tax mid-level exception. And, you know, there'll be some moves they can make. But based off of Sean Marks's last press conference, it seemed like the Nets potentially aren't looking to pay the tax if it doesn't make sense. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't think you pay the tax for a team that is a middling sort of team, what we saw the Nets were. Now, if Damian Lillard and one of these superstars were to come and give you a, a chance at sort of being a top four seed and having a, a genuine shot, or maybe being a top seven seed or top eight seed if you're the Miami Heat. But no, if you've been a championship sort of contender, that's when you pay the tax. And the Nets were 
and then credit to, to Joe Sy and Sean Marks about the last couple of years, they were in the tax, they did pay it. The Nets were a contender, you know, at least the iteration of the roster was supposed to be that. So it doesn't make sense, but there is, you know, little things here and there where the Nets, you know, could change in terms of, you know, what does Cam Johnson get offered? Is Ben Simmons on the team? And all these different little machinations that could affect, you know, the salary cap for the Nets in general. Yeah. And, you know, some of the guys that they could potentially move that are on expiring deals jump into that a little bit later but i guess looking at the nets upcoming free agents you know restricted free agents we have cam johnson we have david duke jr we have drew smith unrestricted free free agents we have seth curry and you to watch jack what do you i guess starting with the restricted guys obviously cam johnson is you know the big fish for the nets to retain what are your thoughts on that situation I think given the state of the free agent class in general, Cam Johnson is a prime candidate. And that could negatively affect the Nets CBA in terms of their salary cap machinations because there is a glut of like of not really good wings out there in terms of this free agent class. And Cam Johnson might be right at the top of it. Yes, he's restricted, so it does favor into to the Nets and, and their ability to re-sign it. But in saying that there's been rumors about the Houston Rockets and them trying to build some form of a contending team and maybe get Jalen Brown and all these sort of guys. But hopefully, you know, the fact that the the Nets, Cam Johnson wanting to play along with his his bud, his best bud, Brooklyn Bridges, the the twins in for a very, very long time could be a, a positive thing. And it might allow him to take, you know, two or three million less than what he might be worth, you know. He, get, he takes 20 million instead of 24. He takes 21 instead of 25. So, look, that's going to be the, the big thing that we watch for. That's going to be the big announcement that I'm looking at. And Cam Johnson had an incredible postseason, one of the, the true guys that stepped up when it really did matter. So, he's earned himself a, a pretty sizable payday. He's going to deserve it. It's just going to be where that number lands, the, the year length, the, the the structure of the deal. It's going to be fascinating to see how it pans out. And and, and again, you know, my fingers and toes are crossed that he's going to stay in Brooklyn for a very long time. Yeah, Jack, you know that obviously restricted free agents, so the Nets can match any offer you receive from other teams. You mentioned the Rockets. You know, some people have brought up the Pacers or the Pistons, so it could be an aggressive pursuit. But given the new CBA, you would assume teams will be paying role players less money but there's always gms out there that are willing to overpay and make mistakes and like you said that can be scary for the nets because you don't want to see that number rise too much because now you become worried about it becoming an overpay and really i don't want to say screwing you in the future because cam johnson seems like he'll be a good player but it'll just make things that much more difficult so is there a number in your head that you wouldn't want to go over and then maybe you'd consider like a sign and trade yeah, I think 25 is the upper echelon yeah. of what I think because you look at what Mikhail Bridges is on and Mikhail Bridges is on maybe the best contract in the NBA now with these new announcements around the CBA. So the Nets have the best contract and maybe the worst contract in the NBA, yeah. both on their books. <laughs> it's but, yeah, it is incredibly ironic and you know the, the Nets team is full of irony and it's, we don't need to discuss that. But I, I think that $25 million sort of range, I think it'll be, there's little incentives that you can sort of do here and there that, you know, Sean Marks and his salary cap team have shown in the past that they've been able to do, you know, with Kyrie Irving, DeAndre Jordan and Kevin Durant, all these little things about, you know, $1 million bonus for hitting 90% of your free throws and all-star team, all these, all these different sort of things. I, I hope that Sean Marks, that's something that he has done well in terms of how he structured contracts and stuff. There's rarely been times where the Nets have given a guy a contract that has been an albatross. Yeah, Joe Harris probably isn't worth $18, $19 million, but, you know, Duncan Robinson's doing his thing and he's a regular season player and that contract is going to be coming off pretty soon. So I think 
$25 million annual is probably the number where I'd be, you know, happy-ish. Um, but, you know, anywhere from those mid-20s, low-20s is is a range that I'd, I'd feel comfortable with, Nick. What's the, what's the number for you? Yeah, I think right around that number, maybe even a little less. I think it depends on the deal, um, you know, how it's structured to moving forward. And like you said, I thought that's a great idea to include some incentives. And I think Cam Johnson's a really interesting player. He is up there in age, you know, obviously not super far from 30, but it seems like his game isn't fully developed, more so based off the opportunities he had had in Phoenix rather than what he can do in Brooklyn. Like you mentioned, look good in the playoffs. And it's kind of like, what are those next steps and how how good can he be? What is his ceiling? Yeah, the the ceiling thing is a, is a question. Now, we probably, I could assume that Cam Johnson would be, you look at the sort of third guy that Phoenix was kind of looking for. If they got the Cam Johnson that we had in, in this year's playoff, you, you supplant him and, and put him on the Phoenix Suns, that, that series against Denver it looks a little bit closer. So I think he's proven he can be a three, he can be a four. Yeah, he's got, he's a guy that can be in your six, seven-man rotation you know, for a, a postseason run, whether you are a, a, an average team like the Nets were or if you are a genuine contending team. I think Cam Johnson has proved that. And that's all you need to do to be a genuine long-term NBA a player and earn a, a decent chunk of salary, get your, your 15, 18, 20, $25 million per annum. This is the deal for him because beyond this, you know, if it's a four-year deal, takes him to when he's 31, 32, five-year deal, whatever it might be, you know, beyond that, what is he going to receive? So I think his agency his, or, or his representation are going to be looking for to maximize his earning potential. And that is completely fair, you know, for him, and, and securing his future, the, the future of his family and everything else in between. But you know, the, the number is going to be a, an interesting one, Nick. And you know, we'll be talking about it as soon as it drops on the buzz. You better believe that. We'll be diving deep into the machinations of that contract. And, and I'm, it's the number one thing that I'm most fascinated about outside the possible superstar hunting. Yeah, and I think you look at it too is, okay, if they bring him back at X number, you know, what deal are they trying to get off the roster? You know, who is that expiring contract that they're trying to move? But Jack, in terms of some of the other guys that are free agents, any thoughts on them? You know, David Duke Jr., Drew Smith, Seth Curry, Yuta Watanabe. You're giving me a platform to speak about Yuta Watanabe, Nick. I'm going to hmm. speak about Yuta Watanabe. But if you, it's interesting because Yuta Watanabe started the season like a house on fire and it was just like, man, this guy could earn... 10 15 million dollars if he keeps playing like this but then injuries and unavailability and dnp sort of prevented that and a part of me is like are the nets doing this to hide the value of yuta watanabe no i don't think that that's the case but it, it could be and maybe he comes back to brooklyn you know on a on a cheapish sort of deal you know you know if you sort of Obviously, the, the the rules are different, and I'm still wrapping my head around them. You're doing a great job of explaining them. You replace Patty Mills's you know taxpayer MLA with Yuta Watanabe. I'd be totally comfortable with that number for a guy of his stature, of his ilk, of his production. So, look, I, I want Yuta Watanabe back in the Brooklyn Nets uniform. I've developed an irrational love for him, but I think there are going to be a lot of teams out there that think they can sneakily grab him and he can contribute because he's shown that if you're a good scout out there and you're watching Nets basketball this year, you'd be going, if you're a, a Phoenix Suns, if you're a Los Angeles Lakers, if you're a Golden State Warriors, you're, put, you're picking up the phone to Yuta Watanabe and his representation going, hey, how about here, mate? We saw what you did. You, you, we'll give you a billion corner threes and we will actually play you. We will actually <laughs> play you. There will be minutes here for you when it matters. So... I'm not optimistic about his chances of returning to Brooklyn. Uh, I had a lot of fun, you know, you know, covering him. I know you did too, but 
there's a part of me that still hopes we see uh, Swatanabe, Yuta Watanabe, Trey, you know, all the nicknames that Iron Eagle has given him. Hopefully he's in a Nets uniform next year, but I think that his services are going to be clamored for by plenty of other teams. Yeah, and one positive about his game is he's consistently got better. You know, maybe it's not substantial jumps, but he's really improved his game. So like you said, you know, a team might think they can do more with him moving forward. And like you mentioned, you know, the Nets could use a taxpayer mid-level exception on Utah. Um, or they could use a portion of it. You know, maybe he doesn't get, you know, if the full six or seven million a year, they go with something lesser. It really depends on the market and who's out there. And I think it'll be interesting in general just to see how teams value players moving forward with the new CBA and, you know, the limitations and the need to stay, you know, under the tax to have, you know, different opportunities to do things or the aprons. But, you know, it'll be fun to see that. But in terms of David Duke Jr., Drew Smith, Seth Curry, anything? No, I, look, I think it'll be... In- There'll be guys at the end of the sort of the roster. I know you've been a big fan of DDJ. I know Justin Thomas is a big fan of DDJ, DDJ as well. Look, I, I think DDJ is the guy that you prioritize there. Yep. I think he's a guy that can be an NBA player. Drew Smith, we haven't seen enough for. Raycon Gray, we haven't really seen enough from. But I hope that you know, we maybe see DDJ continue to develop his craft in, in Long Island. But yeah, who knows? Yeah, I think uh, there's a good chance he's back um, on a, probably a veteran minimum deal or something very small with just a little raise or something along those lines. And like you said, Drew Smith, maybe another two-way contract. And Seth Curry, I think they'll renounce his rights and he'll be signing elsewhere. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's next, Nick? 
I guess looking at the Nets trade assets, we can kind of look at players and we mentioned it before expiring contracts and how they could have a lot of value moving forward with teams trying to avoid the tax and all those different things. But I think ideally the best expiring contract the Nets have is Nick Claxton. You know, he is a steal at his current price. He's a guy that, you know, competed for defensive player of the year, received most improved player votes, and he's on a steal of a contract at $9.6 million. And I'm not saying they should trade Clax, but just examining it from an objective perspective. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, the Pascal Siakam things coming back up, if, you know, Damian Lillard were to come in a package deal where Nurkic were to be packaged in there as well. Uh, obviously, the Nick Claxton conversation I had pretty deeply with Justin when we were doing the sort of player grades. Look... He is on, you know, a bargain basement deal that's similar to the Mikhail Bridges, you know, all defensive caliber player that should have made it. It was one of the biggest snubs as a, as a Nets fan and as just a general NBA fan who watched basketball. You know, it was yeah. pretty shocking that Bam Adebayo got in over him. It was just dumb, but that's a discussion for another day. But yeah, I'm intrigued to see how Nick Claxton is used if he is used because, you know, he can be... He's he's on the precipice of continuing to grow into a really impactful NBA player. So I think he is that sort of prime A candidate. You know, obviously the number is a, is is so low that you can't really you'd have to put it with a Joe Harris, a Dorian Finney-Smith, a, a Spencer Dinwiddie, and these sort of guys. But the the number and the player that he has proven to be shows that he's probably the number one asset, other than you know whatever Phoenix Suns pick you want to sort of talk about. So I think Nick Claxton. I want Clack City has been, you know, one of our favorite things to cover the past three years in in, in Nets world and, and in Buzz world. But you know, could his future be elsewhere? I'm not saying yes, but I'm not saying no. Yeah, I think it's just a lot of it too. Is you know, what type of market is he? Excuse me, going to have next off season? You know, are you going to be able to pay him and maintain your roster or maintain flexibility? You know, that I think that's a really intriguing number, and we'll kind of see what happens with centers moving forward. So, you know, like you said, probably the Nets' best asset, you know, somebody on draft night could get really excited because that's an easy deal to fit in. Anything from a rebuilding team to a contending team. You know, you look at Clax as a contender, okay, we can fit in a contract at that size. And, you know, as a rebuilding team, we could resign him moving forward and he could be a big piece of our future. So really interesting season, offseason for Nicholas Claxton. But getting to some of the other guys, uh, Joe Harris, Patty Mills, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Edmund. And some looking at these guys, who do you think is the most valuable out of these expiring contracts? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to sort of say. I guess if you want to rank them, Jack, actually, if you want to rank Spencer, Royce, Sumner, Joe Harris, and Patty Mills from best to worst expiring contract, excluding Clacks, I'd go Royce, Spencer, Joe, and anyone else. And you know, Edmund yeah. Sumner probably. You, I mean, you could throw Edmund Sumner in there because he's exceeding the value of his contract, and maybe that's better than what Joe Harris is. So maybe yeah. that that that's something we can sort of talk about. But I think just the number, you know, those sort of those fifteen to twenty-five million dollar contracts make sense as just an asset in itself. You know, the in terms of, and I know you've spoken about this too when it comes to you know formulating packages. It's why like you know, the Celtics have always had Marcus Smart in in so many different trade deals and 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 possibilities there. So I think Royston it makes the most sense because I think his number is not great, and I think he's proven that he can be contribute to different environments. You know, I think if you were to throw him on a a team that is you know up and coming i think his leadership and and his production would be invaluable there and if you were to throw him on a contending team you know we sort of saw what he did with the the nets when they were in that sort of contention status 
He was, you know, playing incredible basketball, having big moments, you know, just a, a real fan favorite guy doing a lot of different things, developing as a as an all-round basketballer. So I think him as just as a player, I think, is has the most value. Spencer lost a lot in the postseason, I think, and and post Kyle Kuzma beef. But Joe Harris has lost a lot in terms of but again it's the nature of those deals and it's just like well no i'm just have a guy who's a shooter and then that number comes off the contract and it makes our our cba and our our, our salary cap ramifications look a little bit better so look um, um those would be my rankings nick but that's me ranking based off you know if i'm a, a, a an opposing gm so i don't know if i'd be the best opposing gm do you have a, a different ranking similar ranking how are you feeling yeah, I think it'd be pretty similar. Um, I think, you know, Spencer and Royce, you could kind of argue depending on the team and, you know, how they feel about the contract. Spencer at 20.3 million, uh, Joe Harris, 19.9 million, Royce O'Neal, 9.5 million, and Edmund Sumner, 2.2 million. So you look in Patty Mills, 6.8 million. So, you know, that kind of gives you an idea. And like you said, Royce is someone who's kind of easy to fit in. Spencer's up there at 20. You know, Joe Harris is still pretty high. Um, I think Edmund Sumner low-key has some value, like you mentioned, you know, outproducing that contract and could another team could really see value in his play. You know, didn't play much at the end of the season for the Nets, but during stretches played some really good basketball this season and was still really recovering from a torn Achilles. Yeah, I think if it's the similar to the use of what's an Arbe conversation, if you're a team that just needs a, a backup guard and you want to fill out the roster a little bit and, and you know, a, whether he's a guy from eight to 10 or he proves to be better than that because he's got the talent, he's got the defensive chops, and I think he's got a little bit of, you know, a more offensive chops than we sort of saw. You know, his speed and, you know, his aggression and his defensive capabilities would have an impact on many teams in the NBA. So, you know, with the, the new ramifications of the CBA, you've got to find those diamonds in the rough. And I think, Utah to Edmund fit that prototype. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the Nets manage And like you said, they could use him in a package potentially for a start. They could just look to get off money or they could look to just grab, you know, first round picks moving forward. So it's going to be interesting. And in terms of draft picks this year, the Nets have two first round picks, one coming from Phoenix and a second round pick in this draft. Future episodes will kind of jump into some of those draft guys. But any thoughts on those picks this year, Jack? Yeah, I think it's the discussion that's been happening for the last month and a bit about the last couple of weeks, however long it's been. My sense of time has gone out the window since the Nets haven't been playing basketball. But it's a lot of people talking about, well, have all these guys at the Nets are working out and, you know, are, are they going to trade up? Are they going to package those picks? You know, are they going to use those picks in, in a Dame trade? So I think it's worthwhile to just think of them as assets at this point, but how they are used, you know, in, whether it's superstar hunting, whether it's packaging them to move up, which rarely does happen, you know, so that's something to probably keep in the back of your mind in terms of the Nets packaging those, you know, sort of late firsts to get into the to the to the 15 20 or 15 18 13 whatever that sort of range seems unlikely because it just it just doesn't really happen in today's day and age but i don't know enough about the draft and they do a bit of, a little bit of research there but those assets just individually and collectively are intriguing to just think about yeah, I think it's more likely maybe they package one of their future picks with this year's pick to move up. I think that could be something they could do if they're really interested in that. But like you said, you know, unlikely. And there's a, a lot of talk about a good player falling, you know, to the 20. So we'll see what happens there. Um, and the rest of the picks moving forward, the Nets do have a ton of picks they can move. They have a 2025 unprotected pick from Phoenix. They have uh, the Rockets have a swap in 2025 with the Nets first, so they could potentially have their own pick or the Rockets pick. A 2027 unprotected pick, first round pick from Phoenix. A 2027 top eight protected first from Philly that does have some more 
um, ramifications in terms of if that will become a Nets pick. Uh, 2027, the Rockets have a first-round swap again. 2028, the Nets have a first-round swap with the Suns. 2029, they have two unprotected first-round picks, one from Dallas, one from Phoenix, and their own pick. So this is something different in terms of what we've talked about the last couple off-seasons. Yeah, the Nets have assets. They are tied to other teams, but those other teams, there's a combustibility to them in a similar way that the combustibility yeah. was to the Nets. You know, Phoenix Suns, you know, what's going to happen with them? You know, we, we discussed it, uh, you know, in jest at the start of the pod, but, you know, Kevin Durant's age 34. It's not like he's going to get any better, you know, in 2025 yeah. when that first round pick does translate to the Nets. What do the what do the Phoenix Suns even look like? Who knows? But yet, so many of those different picks being tied to, to different teams almost isn't a bad thing because it's sort of just like well we just do our thing and we just sort of play it out and, and see how it goes and with Houston you know there's a, a lot of different chatter and rumblings about you know do the Nets trade to get their own value back is Jalen Green going to be it, it's just uh, it's not really worth getting into it's more just sort of Twitter chat but it, it's fun to sort of think about but the Nets having assets is a positive thing you know no, but it's going to be like you and I discussed and like you and I have been sort of talking about on Twitter quite a bit it's about you know the Nets need to just to just <clears throat> excuse me, to decide a direction. And because they have such a, a great amount of assets, whether it's contracts, whether it's picks, whether it's a combination of both, they need to figure out. They can't be in, you know, going, all right, let's just go middle of the road again. You need to like yep. either figure it out, go totally rebuild, Mikhail Bridges, get even more picks and get even more draft capital. And you've, you're totally rebuilding. Or you're using those picks to sort of, you know, really try and s- splash now. Because I, I think... I don't think I don't know what Sean Marks' thinking is. I don't know what Joe Sy's thinking is, other than apparently it's hard to manage basketball teams uh, from Joe Sy's side of things. But in saying that, it's it's the one thing that I think you and I just keep preaching. The Nets need to find a direction. Sean Marks needs to be all in on it, and I will support that. You know, if it doesn't work out, look as much as the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving thing didn't work out. I like that we tried for it because it's the yeah. best chance the Nets have had to go for a championship. It was a better, you know, a better opportunity than the KG Paul Pierce, um, Deron Williams sort of days. You know, it it, it just was, despite the it, the fact that it blew up in our face. It's like the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You make those moves. It's gonna. It could be you fall flat in your face. You got pie everywhere. You got injured knees, whatever. But you got to do that move. And is that Damian Lillard now in this offseason? Is that Carl Anthony Towns? Is that Trey Young? You know, who, who knows what it might be, but I, the Nets need to figure it out. And I think that direction, we'll start to see it once we see the Cam Johnson contract. We'll start to see the draft. You know, there's going to be some big moments that will decide the the trajectory of this Nets future. And the fact that they have so many assets that we've discussed already, you alluded to so many picks that it was hard for me to even keep up with. And all of those contracts, it, it allows the Nets flexibility to decide their own sort of destiny. It's just what destiny do they choose? Yeah. And like you said, really lean into whatever direction you choose. You know, if you're going to go rebuild, just trade off every valuable contract on the roster, you know, other than maybe the young guys. And, you know, a Dorian Finney Smith can have value to another team if the Nets don't think they have room for him. You know, there are a lot of different options. A lot of creativity can happen with this roster if you, you know, move some different guys, gather even more picks and still make a trade for a superstar and have ammo, maybe potential for another star in the future. And it's going to be intriguing. And the Nets are in a, a pretty good spot considering what they went through during that KD Kyrie James Harden era. Yeah, it's it's credit to Sean Marks for being able to to find his way out of this 
disaster because it was it was pretty bloody disastrous but uh, a credit to him for being able to rebuild this team on the fly so to speak but you know now that the job isn't done the job isn't done until till the chip is won until the direction is is decided and we still don't know what that is you know we, i don't i don't I, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of this pussyfooting around tipping the toe into the deep end maybe going shallow it's just like let's go all in one way or another and yeah i <laughs> you've sort of swayed me more to the Damian Lillard sort of side of things because it's just fun to cover superstars. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's also fun to cover young guys. You know, the 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 enjoyment we've had watching, you know, Jared Allen and Nick Claxton and Cam Thomas, these guys sort of develop. That could be fun too. But ultimately, the direction, the direction is, is it's going to decide it all. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, just thinking about it from a, you know, Sean Mark's perspective, I think he's more likely to be aggressive because... Will he be around when those future picks are in the draft or have the opportunity to use them? Will he have a timetable to last? So it seems more likely for him to be aggressive. And I think you could look at it from the perspective of Mikel Bridges. We talked about it. One of the best contracts in the NBA. That's a luxury. Obviously, you do still have Ben on there. And maybe you can get him off. Maybe you can include him in a trade. You know, Maybe it's more likely you get him off next offseason or at the trade deadline or something if he can kind of get some of that value back up. But like, it's just a matter of Sean Marks and what he wants to do. And I think we'll have an idea of that probably on draft night, especially if they end up, you know, drafting two rookies or there's no rumblings of a trade for a star. And also Joe Sy. I think Joe Sy is one to sort of talk about here yeah. in terms of his influence on it and the rubber stamps that he gives to Sean Marks and the influence that he has because you know, when the, the Kim and Durant trade was happening, it was, you know, Joe Sy and Matty Spear doing the sort of deal. And then it's yep. Sean Marks doing the deal. So it's just like, what's going on here? Who's obviously the owner is the guy that signs the checks. He's the one that, yeah. you know, has the ultimate say, the, the, the governor, whatever the, 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 they're called these sort of days. But at the end of the day, I think that's something to sort of keep an eye on because, you know, what does, and now we're hearing Clara uh, Sy as well come out and, and, and she's, She's a person I, I like to hear a lot more from because, you know, when we heard about the Kevin Durant sort of stuff, she was a, a big mediator in that as well. But in saying that, we've heard Joe Sy sort of say he'd rather have a team that would be easy to manage than have this combustibility and all this crazy sort of stuff. Basketball players are hard to manage. But ultimately, he's I think he's sort of treating the Nets a little bit as a business. And mm -hmm. the business, like, you know, was booming to an extent you know you sell jerseys when you got Kevin around and and Kyrie Irving on your team you sell out Barclays when you've got two superstars there are you going to sell out Barclays when you've got Cam Thomas Drew Smith Raycon Gray and whoever's drafted this year sort of going along probably not and I think because the Nets are you know we're seeing what the Knicks are doing in in the same sort of market and obviously you know this is coming from an Australian so maybe it's a little bit hollow coming from me but in saying that you know they're still trying to establish themselves as a brand and I think mm -hmm. that Joe Sy having his footprint on that is going to be like, well, I still need to get these guys as season ticket holders. I need, I still need to sell out, sell out Barclays. I still need to sell jerseys. I still need to sell merch. How am I going to do that? You know, Mikael Bridges is a guy that can already do that you know, with his eyes closed. If I get Damian Lillard here, there's a, 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 a new sort of identity sort of being built in the same, in the way that sort of like Sean Marks wants these sort of culture guys at Bayern and Joe Sy's got the guys that are sort of like, you know, don't have those egos and are easy to manage because Damian Lillard seems to be that sort of guy in terms of how he's built himself in Portland. So I think it's worth thinking about, you know, Joe Sy and his role in all these sort of things as well as Sean Marks because we, we don't know what goes on, but we do know that Joe Sy is obviously having a massive influence over the direction that this team will ultimately take.
Yeah, for sure. That's a great point, Jack. I think, you know, he would prefer to keep the momentum. You know, a lot of momentum was created having superstars in Brooklyn. And Dame Lillard could be a guy that brings the relevancy and the hype, but also checks the boxes for Josiah and Sean Mark. So I think there's a real possibility in that they could be attracted to some other stars. You know, there a lot of things can change between now and the beginning of free agency or the draft. You know, I think guys are going to end up in the market. Maybe we didn't anticipate or, you know, a team blows up or another star demands to trade. So I guess, Jack, other than Dame Lillard, who would be some guys you would like to see the Nets potentially, you know, target in the trade for a star or superstar? Yeah, I mean, we discussed Trey Young, Carl Anthony Towns. I, I think a guy that we haven't totally discussed a lot is Pascal Siakam. I think he's yep. the probably guy that fits for me the most because, you know, we talk about the Nets in terms of having a guy who can ball handle, who can play, but who's just like a good hooper. You know, I think Pascal Siakam sort of just fits that mold. He's sort of a better version of Mikhail Bridges. You know, he's a guy that, you know, I'll say this a lot of the times that, you know, Corey and I, when we were doing back in the OTG days, ranked him as like one of the seventh best players in the NBA at a point in time, you know, just a, a few years ago. So, look, he's not that player anymore, but I still think he is, you know, an all-star caliber player in a similar way to what Mikhail Bridges is. I think Mikhail Bridges is growing. I don't know whether Pascal Siakam is still on that trajectory of growth, but what he is is a guy that is a top 25 player in the NBA, top 30. On his day, can drop you 30. On his day, can guard some of the best guys. On his day, could probably play some small ball five as well and sort of fit into the flexibility sort of things mm -hmm. there in terms of what the Nets want to do defensively. So I think Pascal, if we're ranking those sort of guys, Nick, you know, we discussed Carl Anthony Towns. Some people are more in on that. If the Nets were to retain Nick Claxton, a lot of people are loving Trey Young because, you know, he's got that sort of attitude. The New York rivalry would be a bit of fun. I'm less in on that as well. On you, know, you can throw Cat and Trey to the side for me, but Pascal Siakam is a name that could be out there. You know, the the new trajectory of, of maybe JJ Redick as the, a, a future Raptors head coach isn't a big fan of Pascal Siakam. But in saying that, you know, that there's been talks around you know the the Nets in the past in terms of deals with Claxton and the Raptors as well. So if there's Clax for Siakam and whatever else that the Nets have to give up, you know, picks and and whatever Masai Jiri obviously, you know, I think hasn't lost his fastball, but it's a lot of people are like, well. What's the the the, the 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 Raptors are in a similar sort of state to sort of what the Nets are. You know, they're in this, that sort of like average-ish, mediocre-ish sort of realm. You know, are, are they really going to go full tilt forward? But I think the Raptors brand is more established and the fan base, you know, they have that whole city, the whole freaking country. Whereas the Nets still trying to, as you alluded to, probably the best way to describe it, build that momentum and continue to establish themselves as a brand in the NBA and then a brand beyond that in sports. So you know, Pascal Siakam would be a guy I would absolutely freaking love. How realistic is it? Uh, I don't think it's very, but funnier things have happened. Yeah, the Nets lean into, you know, going for winning. You know, Siakam makes sense, obviously, in an expiring contract to the Raptors. And they have to decide if they want to trade him or potentially extend him this year because I doubt they want to see him, you know, hit the open market next year. So I think it's more likely he's traded than maybe not, you know, unless they are decided they want to go all in and really try to win. I think bringing in a new coach kind of sends a signal maybe, you know, we're ready to rebuild this roster back up. You know, Fred Van Vliet has a player option. I think Gary Trent has a player option. So what the Raptors will do is interesting. OG is do some money soon as well. So I think Dame and Pascal Siakam are two guys that make a lot of sense. Maybe as like a dark horse guy, if he demanded a trade would be someone interesting would be a LaMelo ball. You know, I think he has a lot of potential moving forward would be that true point card. You know, you could debate what his ceiling is, but as I mentioned earlier, you know, 
there could be another star that demands a trade on the market and wants to come to Brooklyn. We'll kind of see what happens on that front. And I think in terms of, you know, role players, maybe if they added Dame Lillard or added another star and they wanted to continue to improve the roster, you look at maybe that Clippers team, they're going to have cap issues. That Bucks team is going to have some cap issues. Even a team like the Wizards might be getting off a role player or two. So I think those would be some teams I would target. Even Golden State, if they want to try to lower their tax bill, another team that could potentially be trying to sell off some pieces of the roster. Yeah, and you know I've been big on Nas Reid and the Minnesota Timberwolves with you know the, obviously having to pay Anthony Edwards in the future. Rudy Gobert's tied to them long term. Carlton Towns is tied to them at least contractually. So that there's maybe a sneaky sort of guy. I know he's not a hometown dude, but I'm pretty sure he's from Jersey or somewhere in the New yep. York sort of area. And you know I just Nas Reid and Nick Claxton would be just so much goddamn fun. And you know if the if the Nets off season were to be you know my ideal goals, Nick, and it's Nas Reid and it's Damian Lillard, you know sign me up for the first ever Brooklyn Nets chip. Yeah, that would be great. Um, I Nas Reid a free agent. So there is potential maybe he could come to Brooklyn. It'll be interesting to see what his market is out there in terms of, you know, being probably better as a backup center. You know, there are some other guys that are going to have very interesting markets. You know, it's hard to predict how much guys are going to get paid. You know, how much is a Grant Williams or a Max Struess or, you know, some of these other role players hit the market? Could the Nets potentially have some interest in these guys? I'm not really sure. I think they'd probably look for some of the – the cheaper routes, you know, some of those minimum deals or some of those very low deals and something like an Edmund Sumner where, or Yuto Watanabe where they take a chance and the guy could potentially grow, especially if they're not necessarily going completely all in the season. Yeah, and Sean Marks, it's, it's how he rebuilt this team. Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris. Those two guys were castaways from their respective franchises and rebuilt themselves into being, you know, top whatever players in the NBA, credible NBA players, credible rotation players. So, you know, Yuta Watsonabe, Edmund Sunder proved that they can be credible rotation NBA players. And there's always guys out there. There's always talent out there, you know, whether it's overseas, whether it's, you know, in, in your own backyard, you know, whether, wherever else it might be, whether you're developing itself, whether it's DDJ, whether it's a Raycon Gray, whether it's Daron Sharp. You know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, Daron Sharp and the Kevon Looney comparisons in terms of, you know, you know offensive rebounding having a, a massive impact on this postseason. So it'll be intriguing to see how the Nets sort of fill out the rest of the roster because a lot of teams are going to be clamoring for similar sort of assets so it's going to require you know some creativity and i think you know just sean marks's credit it feels like i'm sean marks's biggest fan in this episode i'm giving him a lot of credit but you know credit where credit is due i like to be somewhat objective he can build rosters he can build flawed rosters at the same time and he can find talent yeah, I think it'll be interesting, you know, look at some of maybe the cheaper centers like a Mo Wagner or a Trey Lyles, you know, as a power forward type, maybe small ball five, Dario Saric, you know, some of those guys, maybe you Bomber as well. It. Yeah, you know, somebody like that, you know, the free agent market isn't necessarily great this year. You know, I think we've heard from Woj and even mentioned by Shams is this is going to be a very active offseason in terms of trades, you know, a lot of salary on the move, you know, teams looking to dump, looking to add players, you know, limited opportunities. And also just to throw it out there, the Nets do have a trade exception of around 18 million. Will they use that? That'll be a big question given, you know, do you where think they, they use it, Nick? Well, what's the, give it, give me a percentage likelihood. Obviously it's hard to predict because the Nets didn't lose, use that previous uh, exception that was generated as well. Can you see it being used? You know, I, I, I honestly have no idea. That's why I'm asking someone smarter than me to inform me in, in you. Yeah, it'd be 18.1 million. So there you could really get a quality player with that. I think it's it really just comes down to if they're trading for Dame Lillard and they're trying to build a contending roster, I think they would use the $18 million trade exception. And if they're going in that full rebuild route, 
they could still potentially use it, but in another way to take on a bad contract to gather another first round pick. So I think I put it at like 50% because I could see a way where they could use it when they're over the tax or a way where they could use it where they're under the tax and they could benefit themselves with an asset. So if they're smart, they'll take advantage of that 18 million, especially in such an active trade offseason like this one upcoming. Yeah, and I think as well in a in a changing landscape that we're sort of yep. discussing, and I'm as I alluded to, I'm still wrapping my head around every single little thing matters, and if you're not utilizing all the things that are at your disposal, and I think that that's why I was so frustrated with Sean Marks at the trade deadline in terms of you know retaining Seth Curry. You know, for, for me that was the dumbest thing that could have happened. Yep. One, and obviously it stunted the growth of Cam Thomas, but he's a, he's not an asset because he's an unrestricted free agent. So that for me made the least amount of sense. So Look, I, I think that there's things that could happen, things that couldn't happen. There's mistakes that have been made, mistakes that could be made. It's just, you know, I, I just want Sean Marks to do his job and do it to the best capabilities that he can, not just sort of like uh, do enough to appease certain segments of NBA, of, of Nets fan bases on this side of Twitter, on this side of, you know, the social media, whatever. It's just like, let's just do something. Let's just get around it and, and let's just like fully embrace all of the things that the Nets have there in terms of to build a, a quality roster, you know, how, how, what the, the, the definition of quality, you know, is in the eye of the beholder, you know, the quality of the roster might have 14 different picks like your OKC and then OKC in three years time, have a Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Chet Holmgren, a guy who finishes second in the rookie of the year. That's, is that the route you want to go down? Cool. Let's do it. But is there a route you go down where it's just like, let's just try another superstar. Let's see what, how this thing goes. And let's find guys that we can get and or retain. Let's trade a Joe Harris for a guy who's an upgrade over that. Let's just find different things to build a, a roster that is solid enough one to eight. Because I think that there is parity in the NBA right now. You know, and I think that the CBA increases this parity and the opportunity to win that chip. Because who would have thought the Miami Heat, who got beaten by the Atlanta Hawks in the play-in before going on to beat the the one seed, would be on the verge of playing in the on the Eastern Conference Finals? That could be the Brooklyn Nets, Nick. You know, it, it literally could be. Now, look, there are plenty of universes where the Nets have won championships. You know, if the feet weren't big, if big Greek guys knew how to box out, or all these different sort of things. So I think the parity in the NBA right now means that the Nets need to be serious about either really going hard for a chip and using all the assets possible to do that and build a, a roster that is one to seven deep at minimum, if not one to eight, or truly go, you know what, Mikhail, it's been good, but Jalen Green and 45 different picks, that route can create us a contender in a different way. Yeah. I think exactly, Jack. They're in a position for to do both things and both to do really well given the assets they have in terms of draft picks and how they could also pivot out of you know a team if it isn't successful given some of the future picks they have depending on what they would have to give up for a star or stars. And if they elected to go the route of rebuild, they have a lot of attractive contracts. They could walk away this offseason with a ton of first-round picks, some quality first-round picks, and maybe even a building block. So... There, there's a lot to consider moving forward. Sean Marks has pretty much to choose to go right or left in terms of what he's going to do this offseason. Yep, right, left, straight ahead. Hopefully he just doesn't go backwards, Nick. Yeah, we, we don't want to see a run it back. I think that would be potentially the worst case scenario for this offseason. Where do we go next, Nick? Well, what's the, what's the next steps? I think that's pretty much it, Jack. I mean... We're going to jump deeper into a lot of these topics in future episodes. This is kind of just a quick off-season overview, but any final thoughts for you before we get out of here? 
Look, it's it's just interesting where the Nets do stand, and because I, I think watching these players, as I alluded to, just to reiterate, the Nets are in a decent enough spot, and the, the franchise is in a decent enough spot to strike. Maybe not while the iron is hot, but while the iron is sizzling a little bit, and there's a chance to sort of you know actually be a part of that glut of teams that could come out of the East, because you know if the the, the Celtics or the Sixers, that those are your top two teams right now, obviously Giannis and the Bucks. you know, if they hire Scott Brooks, they're going backwards. Like there's just a lot of opportunities for teams that are on the fringes, like a Nets, like a New Orleans, like an OKC, these sort of teams to just rock it up and go, you know what? I'm going to do this. Mikael Bridges, you're going to be you know, a fringe all-NBA player. Damian Lillard is going to play 70 games. And you know, he was an all-NBA player this year. Like he... He, he is one of the best guards in the NBA. So, and I don't think that's going to change next year. And I don't think it'll change for the next two or three years, seeing you know the similar trajectory to what Stephen Curry is. So uh, I think that the Nets are in a unique position to, you know, actually possibly be, you know, possibly in, in the spot that uh, a Miami Heat is right now, or maybe better. Look, I'm, I'm optimistic, Nick, but Maybe it's just the off-season Kool-Aid sort of going, you know what, there's no basketball to sort of analyze. There's no Jacques Vaughn mistakes, no lack of Cam Thomas minutes to sort of get angry about that. Um, um, there's a semblance of optimism coming from my end. Yeah, and I think also we'll get a really good perspective on how maybe the league and other players view the Nets. You know, if someone demands a trade to Brooklyn, that will say a lot and be very helpful in terms of negotiating. But if they're trying to pull teeth out there, it's going to be tough and going, you know, that other rebuilding route might make more sense. But I think that wraps it up for today. We're going to jump into all these topics again, you know, on separate episodes. But as always, big thanks for everybody listening and always a pleasure, Jack. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.